Hey, what's up? Welcome to Basecraft. So today we're doing a Metallica bass special. It was the 30th anniversary of the Black Album last week. So what better time to do this than now? I've wanted to do this for ages. Uh, if you listen to this at all, you know I'm a huge Metallica fan. And when I was a teenager, I pretty much learned how to play the bass by learning their songs, Cliff Burton's lines and Jason Newstead's. And um, so to do this, I had to get an expert on Metallica. So none better than Andrew Selenko, who runs a YouTube channel. So he has a channel that has 140,000 subs. He built that channel up talking about Metallica. And now he's starting to do more bass playing on that. He's a brilliant bass player. And he has a new channel called Metalli Geek, where he's moving all the Metallica stuff. And that has 40,000 subs. So this man knows he's Metallica. I'd say he's the most prominent Metallica geek on the internet. He just knows so much stuff about it. And he just keep, he says, as he tells himself, it's the endless source Metallica of um, information for him. And uh, yeah, we really got into it here. Now, we didn't talk, obviously, technically, you could say there was been five bass players in Metallica. Ron McGovery, Cliff Burton, Jason Newstead, Bob Rock, he played on an entire album and a few gigs, and Robert Trujillo. But we focused on the three main ones, Cliff, Jason and Rob. And uh, yeah, we really got into it here, a big deep dive into Metallica bass. We didn't spend much time on stuff that's been covered before, like why there was no bass on Justice and why they haven't fixed it. We covered a little bit, but we tried to cover stuff that might be new ground and really interesting to Metallica geeks like myself and Andrew. So yeah, I'll see you in a minute. Jump in and I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed geeking out about Metallica. I might do another one of these about another band. If you want me to do another one, just let me know in the comments. As usual, like and subscribe, all that stuff. I've put Andrew's links down below to all the different things he does. His own channel, Metallic Geek channel, his podcast, all that. His wife's art, she's a great artist. She did like a Cthulhu drawing, you'll see when we're chatting. So um, yeah. Without further ado, let's do this. It was a, lo- a long one. We would have even gone on longer, but I had some technical issues with my connection. So we might meet up again and do one because we could have just talked for hours about Metallica. But you'll see the passion in this one when we're chatting. We're just back and forth. We both know a lot about it. He knows a lot more than me. So I learned some new stuff about Metallica, which was awesome. So yeah, guys, I'll see you in a minute. Winters become more unpredictable. Mm-hmm. One winter, it's normal winter snow and stuff. And one winter, maybe... Like, absolutely, like, maybe, like, Ireland, like, England, I don't know, no snow, it's mud everywhere, it's rain, it's, uh, and and in the night, it's uh, freezing, so in the morning, you have black ice, <laughs> and that's, uh, oh my god. Well, that, that's, yeah, a good, but, that's a good segue, though, into the Black Album, 30 years. Oh, black ice, yeah, black album, yeah, good, good way to go to it. By the way, I've checked uh, before we go into Black Album based stuff. Um, I I really like your logo for your podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Cthulhu, yeah. <laughs> it's My... the Cthulhu with bass, and I here's uh, I have a picture. This is Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah, did your wife yeah. paint that? Yeah, yeah. My um, friend, uh, Col- my friend Colin, the uh, De- Bulger Design. He's in a metal band in Ireland, but he he's an art- a graphic designer, so he did the the logo for me. And yeah. uh, I just said Cthulhu playing the bass, and he just rolled with it, no problem. Yeah, that's uh, Cthulhu has become such a metal character uh, from the books into the heavy metal and bass in particular. Uh, that's such an icon for every bassist. We we get him. We get what it means when it's Cthulhu, Cliff Burton, and bass, and, and the badass. Uh, yeah. 
we know this shit. <laughs> well, uh, I don't have. I don't. I think I only have XL t-shirts left with Cthulhu on it. So, if you if you want to wear a t-shirt that's like way too big for you, I can send you one. But <laughs> that's the only size I've got left. Thank you, thank you. And um, and if anything, you could you could get this picture. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll ask my wife. Uh, she'll she'll give you a discount. <laughs> For basis, everything. <laughs> cool. So today is the 30th and Friday the 13th, 30 years since the release of the Black Album. So I said I'd get a, a certified Metallica scientist um, from YouTube on to speak about bass and Metallica. So Andrew, welcome to the podcast. I'm not sure how, how do I pronounce your surname. I can pronounce your first name, obviously. Um, don't bother. Everyone mispronounces it. Uh, I'm Vasilenko. Uh, Vastelenko and but call me Andri, Andrew, Andy, whatever. Okay. Uh, Metallic geek, uh, whatever. Metallic geek, metallic scientist. So yeah, thirty years since the, al- uh, the black album came out. So ha- uh, how does it feel? Like uh, it's I suppose every time there's a a landmark in Metallica's history, it's almost like a little landmark with your YouTube channel and all this crazy Metallica stuff that you do. Yeah, definitely. The Black Album was my first Metallica album. Um, I heard it for the first time, the songs from it in 2000. Uh, Black, um, the Best Ballads cassette back, the, back in the days. The cassettes were the thing. And my brother had this cassette, Best Ballads, and The Unforgiven, Nothing Else Matters were there. And But I was a kid, I just got it in my subconscious maybe maybe and eight years later after that 2008-9 i discarded metallica myself and the black album was the the gateway and no uh, no turning back i'm still here and yeah build some some name <laughs> in yeah, this uh, culture in this uh, co- uh, community so yeah Black Album has a very special place in my heart. And not so, you know, I didn't start playing bass because of the Black Album. It was actually because uh, uh, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. But uh, whenever someone says, asks me, what songs of Metallica are good for beginner basses? And I say, well, everything from the Black Album is good. Just try it and um, just have fun. I go on to more complex stuff. Mm. So yeah, that's a really good starting point for bass players, the Black yeah. Album. It's really, it's simple, but it's, it's right. It's to the point. It's just what the bassist is supposed to do. Mm. Jason did such a great job there. Yeah, I had a really good tab book. I, I kind of learned from Metallica myself pr- pretty much how to play the bass. Like I had this cool tab book, but it didn't just have the tabs and it didn't even have the full songs in them. But the guy who wrote it, he broke down what was going on in the songs. Like he explained the theory behind each bass line, which was really cool. Like, and there's just so much you can learn from just the bass playing in Metallica songs to become a better bass player and to get started. Yeah, and there is a big difference between I mean, Justice for All and Black Album in terms of Jason's job. I'm not talking the about the loudness of bass, the just Justice doesn't have the bass, and the Black Album is finally having this low end. That's so weird. And I remember that someone, what's that weird low end sound in the album? Well, this bass, we finally have bass, James joke. That 
they did not really have bass before, even with Cliff. Bass is not that prominent, even no. though he's, he was doing uh, bass solos. But I don't know, maybe that's the feature of the 80s mixing. I don't know. And the Black Album, Bob Rock, really did justice, no pun intended, to, <laughs> to bass and Metallica in general. A perfectly sounding album in, in all senses. Yeah, bass awesome. In particular. Well, I think um, I think Metallica. Well, Jason's bass sound came into its own on Load and Reload as well. Really, he has some great tones on that. Well, also he explored his own sound with you know a bit of fretless and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Load and Reload to me are actually a logical continuation of the Black Album. Of course, Load and Reload were more more like '90s sound. The pro- the progress has been made and uh, um, technology developed. I believe it was still recorded analog on tape, load and reload, I believe. Mm. Uh, I, I may be mistaken, actually. Garage Inc. was already using Pro Tools. While load reload, I don't know. But uh, bass still pretty loud. And Jason did what he was doing on the Black Album with the, maybe with some um, suggestion by Bob Rock to really be in the pocket not really standing out, but doing his job as the bassist. But still, Lord and Lord has more bass feels, I don't know, uh, here and there. But we cannot really catch them. Uh, but uh, Jason really knew his job. And he hmm. was not suppressed in that way. Man, he played slap in Cure. Yeah, that know, was yeah. the kind of freedom on Lord and Lord. He was allowed to play slap. One slap. People say he was really... <laughs> yeah... He was suppressed creatively, kind of, yeah, but he played slap. <laughs> and fretless, yes, uh, fretless as well. Oh, my God. Until, Rob... it, until it sleeps, he does fretless as well, which is pretty yeah. cool. And on the Black Album, uh, returning to that record, he did 12-string bass in Wherever I'm a Room in the mm. intro. That was crazy. Uh, I still, I'm still wondering why they came to this song, because that sound... I don't know. I haven't played uh, 12-string bass in my life, um, but I can do pretty much that sound on my 4-string bass with some... I don't know. I can be resourceful. I can do that. But they need 12-string bass to get that sound. When you're a millionaire rock star, you just get the 12-string. Like, Why would you want to play a normal bass <laughs> when you can order these crazy things yeah. for the studio? They had an unlimited um, access to all the equipment. Uh, they, uh, they said that they tried six, seven, eight string bass, I know, a couple of basses. Every time they added new string, and eventually they came to 12 string bass, and that was like, yeah, that's the sound for that one, basically one note repeatedly. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's <laughs> a year and a half of making the album, and they were going really into the detail, the nuances that made the album so outstanding in, in terms of riffs and sound and just everything is just perfect. Metallica probably wouldn't have become the biggest metal band in the world if they hadn't done the Black Album. That, that's what set them into the stratosphere, you know, set them apart from the other trash bands. It was the, the change for the Black Album. It was the, was the turning point for the band, really, wasn't it? They were obviously one of the top in the top three uh, trash bands at the time, but the Black Album was really what put them on the road to being like a recognized worldwide, even as just a hard rock band. Everyone knows who's Metallica are like. 
Metallica is a default metal band. You go yeah. on the streets, ask people, um, name a metal band, metal Metallica, and uh, they say Metallica because it sounds like metal to them. Metal Metallica <laughs> equals metal because yeah. to them the, these are the equal words, literally almost. Yeah, <laughs> and they often mix up um, the genre like. There is blues, there's country, there's Metallica. Like, you know, <laughs> this is such a perfect name for such a band with such a career, such a destiny. Uh, Lars Ulrich knew what name uh, he had to steal from Ron Quintana, yeah. <laughs> and the Black Album is basically, it's the self-titled album. Yeah. Officially. It, officially, but everyone just calls it the Black Album. Yeah. yeah, everyone calls it Black Album, but in the charts, in Billboard, and everywhere it's the metallic album but yeah we don't call it so we know so yeah uh but it's weird they didn't have the song called metallic on their album but that would be too much yeah no, <laughs> it would be too weird much. but let's talk yeah, about and... starting your channel andrew so just to introduce people who aren't sure what you do so um you're a savage bass player too if you don't mind being complimented i love the the, the bass stuff you put up especially lately you've been putting up more bass stuff so you have a hundred thousand followers on the channel with your own name and now you have this new metallic geek channel which has forty thousand subs so how did this whole youtube journey metallica journey begin like yeah it was seven years ago firstly thank you i, I really appreciate that you appreciate my bass stuff uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't really talk to bassists much. I don't really talk to anyone <laughs> outside my house because uh, I talk to the internet and I find guys like you. So yeah, I really appreciate having me aboard. Actually, this is. I believe it's my first podcast for someone. I don't know. I'm not sure, but maybe. Yeah. I've been comment. <laughs> I've been commenting for a while on your videos, but you have so many viewers, you probably didn't see the comments. Yeah. I often say. Love the bass playing, come on the podcast, but I eventually found your email so I could get in contact with you. Yeah, that's the way to uh, to reach out to me because, yeah, comments, uh, there's plenty of comments, I cannot keep up. Yeah, it started seven years ago, seven years, uh, almost eight years ago. And I started making bass videos. That was the beginning of the channel. And I started with Orion bass cover. It was like, like, that's the most obvious start for such a channel was to make an Orion base cover. And I did it on February 10th, uh, 2014, which was the birthday of Cliff. And I made the channel the very day, uploaded the cover that I recorded the entire night before uh, and edited. I, it was a sleepless night, but I did it and I uploaded it. Um, I went to my local li library to have a good internet, uploaded, made the channel, called Andriy Vasilenko, and that's the starting point. And for the next year or so, I was making bass covers, but mostly of guitar solos kind of stuff. I played um, about 10 Metallica guitar solos on bass, ones that, that I could pull off, like Nothing Less Matters, Sanitarium, Fade to Black, and in the style of Cliff, basically. Distortion. Mm. That was the beginning, the entire year. And a couple of non-Metallica covers, such as Floods, but Pantera, Outro, and Bass. Um, but then I started... Um, I remember the point when I 
changed drastically the direction of the channel. I had this idea in my mind to play all the Metallica songs featuring Cliff Burton on bass. Uh, 26 plus to lose to die, 27. And I had this idea to make this serious and would call it Total Cliff. And uh, to play all the covers, make bass tabs and explanation what's going on there. I had this idea for a long time, but I did not really, it was scary a bit. But one day I was making a video, it was in March 2015. I was making another guitar solo on bass. It was, I believe it was something from Megadeth. I tried. Uh, maybe to, uh, to Limon, maybe. But I failed. It, was, it <laughs> did not sound right. And so I said, fuck this shit. Uh, <laughs> the end and I recorded no remorse. Okay. Yeah, and I recorded no remorse. I don't know why it was the first song uh, of the talk live. Then I recorded "Fate." This should not be "Fate to Black," and that was the start. And next year I finished. It took more than a, more over about a year to finish all the songs, plus some extras, and that was the most, the best decision in my life to really sit and record all these songs, 30 videos. I had this list, I printed it, all the songs, and I checked every time I did it. Sometimes I didn't want to do it because there was no result. No one, no one was watching it. Mm. And, but I had this, I need to finish this list, like to complete the challenge. It took more than a year. During the time I broke up with a girlfriend, I, I, lost uh, job basically and all this stuff but making this channel going through the first phase of channel this is the hardest phase to mm -hmm. get it started get momentum through through no views but just making these videos and i had this complete task 20 uh, 32 videos 32 videos and i had to make it happen and over the year of the struggle i actually got a couple thousand subscribers and some regular uh, viewers who always commented, who always supported the endeavor. And at the end, I had like 4,000 subscribers. Started the series from 112 and 4,000. That was, that was something that resonated with people. They seemed to be waiting for this. Someone to play Metallica bass covers um, more or less accurately. And that was uh, not all the Metallica stuff, but the Cliff Burton period. And that connection that someone pays tribute to Cliff Burton, the guy who is not, is no longer with us, but to continue his fire, that was really something people related to. And they subscribed. That was the start. And then I tried bass covers of other bands to kind of, um, you know, all Metallica now, now not so Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Pantera, I think Anthrax I played a couple of times. But then in um, early 2017, so yeah, that lasted al almost two years playing different bass covers. In March 2017, I had guts to record me talking to the camera. Uh, oh my God, that was the video of five things you might have not noticed in Metallica songs. I was really sick of all these videos on the internet. Like, you know, did you know that uh, the intro from Beltos is bass? Like, 
Yeah, I yeah. do know that. Like, <laughs> someone that. does not know it still. It's <laughs> it's like 30 years later, someone does not know it. And I, I was sick of it. There is so much to talk about Metallica deeper. Really cool stuff, nuances about bass and not bass. And so, so I collected five things that I mm, thought people hadn't noticed or or the uh, average listeners the advanced fans knew it already and so i made this video posted it and in a couple of weeks it blew up like a hundred thousand views in like a couple of days maybe just like from a couple thousand to a hundred thousand i was really wow people dig it oh my god and i cannot speak english properly <laughs> was were you nervous and about speaking i was english? not good oh my god i i don't i don't remember if i was nervous but recording the video was um making the script writing it was easy an easy part i could write it more or less grammatically i don't know 80 percent. but recording it it was the hardest the most anxious part i was like oh my god i cannot do it i cannot open my mouth properly but, but by the way, now is the easiest part because I really have fun. I don't give a shit. I know my English is not perfect, but I really have fun opening my mouth and let those words out. This is yeah. fun to me now. But then it was, oh my God. And uh, But I kept making videos because people liked it and I liked it. Um, and then I felt like I, I don't really want to play bass now for the internet because that does not really much does not bring much views now and people like people come to watch me talking about metallic cannot play it and in a couple months i phased it out my bass covers and the last one was something i had planned for a long time playing blackened intro on bass the harmony mm. still one of my most favorite bass works i did it for damage incorporated intro but that was bass and the blackened was not all bass, but guitars, and that was fun. And that was the last bass cover for like next four years, I believe, mm. maybe. Played some guitar occasionally, but mostly talked, 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 because that was the source of views, the source of fun of everything. And some revenue came, actually, started to came to my channel. And this way, I did not want to become this guy who talks about Metallica, <laughs> And but along the way, I learned English, and it was like, hmm, that was such a byproduct of this uh, bassist who from Ukraine who just started making videos about Metallica with broken English. But four years has passed, and well, I still have a lot of ideas about Metallica to talk about it. This is the endless uh, source, and but now I, yeah, I'm getting back to bass because. My life has settled more or less, and the it's calling me back. This is inside of me. But you're yeah. you're very knowledgeable when it comes to like the music theory side of things. So did you did you study bass like a lot when you were younger? Like did you get lessons or how did you learn the bass? Was it just from the internet and learning Metallica songs and stuff like that? Yeah how I learned bass. It was 2010, I believe. And uh, I was invited to play in a rock band. They didn't have a bassist. And uh, 
that's a usual story. I played some guitar, acoustic guitar, and they thought, well, you play guitar, play bass. All right. I was excited to be in my first band, 17 years old, and that was exciting. I picked up bass and I started playing it. It was fun. And actually, before that, I imagined how I'd play uh, Metallica bass stuff, but on the guitar, the Beltos intro. I imagined it how to play on the guitar. But, uh, you know, this is heresy. You should not play it on the guitar. This is bass. I've seen uh, it on. You would be cursed if you played on the guitar. Uh, and so something inside of me, some bass seeds were sprouting. And when I was invited to play bass, like, yeah, that was the puzzle. And I turned out to be a bassist inside. Yeah. And that's how I started playing some, uh, we played some pop rock sound, uh, alternative rock, even some rap rock. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> New metal kind of. Uh, this is such rap. a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of our, our vocalist was in this, this kind of stuff. I was not really for it, but it was fun to play. New metal has some pretty good bassists and bass lines mm. and bass yeah. sounds. And, but uh, imagine Limp Biscuit with bass solos like Cliff. Distortion <laughs> bass solos. So that kind of thing that That's we nice. were playing. Well, they, they were giving you the space, the yeah, freedom ah. to do, do some of this crazy bass stuff yeah. you have to do. So yeah. That's the main yeah. thing. It's the fun thing. Yeah, they did not want to mess with me. Uh, I was a bassist. I have the bigger fretboard, bigger neck and thicker. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was started the starting point. And eventually, I really started to feel myself like a bassist in a good way. Like, I really started to like it getting nuances and so but i stuck to fingers for some reason i remember on one rehearsal in the first couple of months for me playing bass i was switching back and forth from pick to finger i don't know did not know i did not know what to, is best for that song for that band i remember guitarist said throw away that pick play with fingers like but it was not necessary the pick and that was the the last time I <laughs> I played with a pick, and yeah, eventually I became the I stand for finger style basically. I say people that start play bass with fingers because it really gives you the feeling. You feel the bass, the touch, the physical touch of the strings. You need your finger pads to feel the strings, mm. and well, you are not forbidden to play with pick, but Really, in the beginning, at least play with fingers too, to to get familiar with the bass. Well, let's talk about the pick. What do you finger. think about it? The, well, that's funny because I'm almost fully a, a finger style bass player, but I've learned how to play with the pick in the last few years. Like, and I'm okay. I do it live, but I I was do, thinking about that. You see, when a band lo- is uh, they lose their bass player and they get an, they're looking for a new bass player. Well, this is more like in the cover world a lot. I see. But they always ask for a, a plectrum player a lot with rock bands. And I was listening to um, the isolated bass tracks for Cliff, Rob and Jason. And some of Cliff's stuff is a little bit... Now, this is sacrilege. Now, I'm a huge Cliff fan. I'm wearing the T-shirt. But sometimes it can be a little bit sloppy, the finger playing stuff. But I think that more is that he was so young that, you know, if, if he had been playing for as long as like Rob had been playing, he would be have that precision but it was because you know cliff was so young doing these albums but um when you listen to rob's playing it's really precise and he but 
then Jason's tone though just cuts through so well with the plectrum. I I I think that tone almost suits that sound better nearly. Did you using a plectrum like there's not Rob is playing this the lines perfectly, but when you listen to Jason playing the same song isolated with a plectrum, they almost are cutting through better. What do you think like having listened to a lot of Metallica? I like all of the, all of the bass of course. Every every style every, every sound has the right to be and uh, even though I'm more of a finger star pl- style player, when I listen to the isolated tracks from Justice for All, it blows my mind. Yeah, it's like cr- this crunching tone and it's so precise, it just sounds awesome. It's 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 like a blade. I, I I don't know. It's ringing. It's the attack, the precision. Oh my god! I cannot play with with pick like that. It's like. I I don't know how to handle it. Yeah. And uh, maybe uh, because I'm lazy <laughs> to put all the hours into learning how to pick that fast and stuff, but uh, it I like it. I really like it. And maybe that's just because I cannot play it. I'm uh, so excited about it, but when I uh, I'll, I will do it. Next year I will try to uh, record all that with pick. All right. <laughs> Robert Trujillo, he actually plays both pick and fingers on Death Magnetic, All Nightmare Long, and the Judas Kiss. He has some, has some picking, and you you really can tell the difference when you hear his finger pads. I think he is playing without uh, nails. I believe yeah, so. I would because, say so. Uh, that's a softer sound that I get from my bass. My bass is more ringing out of the nails and uh, yeah he knows how it lies his fingers and his pick in every song and in judas kiss actually I remember in the making of judas kiss he tried one lick in both fingers and the uh, pick and tried to uh, what fits better and i believe they uh, left the pick in mm. the mix when i hear it in really really um, like Jason. Yeah. It's not that soft. So yeah, it, it really depends what the songs song would um, benefit from. Uh, but yeah, Cliff was sloppy and for um, uh, for several reasons, basically. He really has the rhythm. He followed the guitar, the drums. He was in the pocket. But in terms of the the string noises sometimes missed notes yeah we can forgive him that because uh, first he was yeah young he was not uh, that he was experienced but not like 50 years old robert exactly. Trujillo. yeah that's that's gigging that's thousands of gigs gives you that precision like yeah yeah all that the time, talent like by that time i calculated he already had a, a ten thousand hours on base i calculated it Mm. Uh, from 14 years old to uh, the age he joined Metallica, it was 22, 21. Every day, six, seven hours, sometimes four on average, he got the 10,000 hours. He was a professional bass player. And uh, But again, how was he recording the bass? It's a different story because everyone... Um, he was standing on his, on his legs, like he's on the stage. I imagine him smoking the uh, the cigarette and uh, putting it away on the amp, like yeah, 
I'm ready. And he was just headbanging. Yeah. He was not sitting or standing still like uh, we see Jason and Robert. He was feeling on the stage. Mm. And he was trying to record it as, as one take as possible, actually. And that's when part of the sloppiness comes from. But that was genuine sloppiness because that was the exact sound he, you would hear him from the stage. Mm. It's a kind of, oh. that, that yeah. some, Sometimes cool stuff happens, though. Like, even in my own band, me and the guitarist would never communicate. Like, he, I would never say, how exactly do you play that riff? I will always learn it by ear or my own way. And sometimes I play it wrong. And that gives a good mistake. And sometimes that happens with Cliff playing, doesn't it? He plays notes that don't really match up with the riffs. And you'd be thinking, did he do that on purpose? Probably not, but it sounds cool still. Usually it sounds cool. Yeah. Master of Puppets. The most prominent example. Several mistakes. Songs, um, notes that was not supposed to work. Imagine, you know, the uh, C against C sharp. It's it's wrong. It's the, the worst, the, the most dissonant harmony in music. <laughs> and he played it, and because of the bass tone, bass mixing, it was not that uh, apparent. And because those notes are really short. All right. And um, uh, yeah, you know how it works on the rehearsals. You see what the guitarist is doing, more or less. All right, I got it. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. And that's uh, what they recorded, actually, in the studio. Or maybe they just, I don't know. But I feel they, they would say, they would tell Cliff, man, that's the wrong note. But they could not hear it, maybe. It was Definitely so loud. They, they were drunk. They were, <laughs> uh, you know, everything. They just, it just slipped uh, through their attention. And yeah, eventually we learn it 30 years later. Maybe no one really knew about it before, like we got the isolated tracks. Mm. And I recall a couple of years ago, maybe after I played Master of Puppets bass cover, uh, one guy said, and I played the, ro- the, the correct way. Dun, 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 C sharp. I played C sharp. Cliff played C. And the guy in the comments said, well, if you listen closely to Cliff's track, he plays for some reason C. And I was, hmm, interesting. I checked. It was like a revelation. (laughs) How? Why? And that was, um, yeah, the the biggest discovery for me. I don't know how many people knew it before. uh, But I tried to spread the word to let people know about the Cliff's mistake. Not to defame him, but uh, just to, uh, how it worked back then. It it is fun. It is not a mistake. It's fun to deep dive into this stuff and learn about what the funny thing is like i know metallica are like like gods and metal and all that but as the guys in the band they probably don't think about this stuff at that deep a level like they're just in the band and they did the master puppets album and then they moved on Uh, sure they probably don't even they don't play the songs note for note live anymore i'm sure some of the riffs might vary and stuff you know they 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 don't analyze the stuff that much themselves really do they probably they they just play the songs for the last 30 40 years and just do their thing like they play a lot of riffs incorrectly now incorrectly they play their own riffs but they relearn it like if it's an old song they try to remember it couple rehearsals 
and sometimes yeah the some riffs are off uh say in disposable heroes that middle section done they played off a whole step i believe it's, they started on seven but they have to start it on five done the taran the taran some uh, i don't know b instead of a something like that but that sounds all right because that's more or less the same leg descending uh, mm. but it's wrong but hey but they do have the right to do it and here and there you we hear james and uh, everyone just doing a bit differently um and robert plays jason's part differently and jason played cliff's parts differently for several reasons firstly they had different techniques pick fingers and again pick fingers in case of robert james jason and they had to show how they would play it to not just copy cliff or jason uh but to show i don't know you know to be a little more throw their own touch to it and maybe they just even learned it that way yeah exactly uh, the they might be like the guys on yeah. youtube are a lot of the people on youtube are experts at covering songs and learning songs with ear but just because you're in metallica doesn't mean that you're an expert at learning other people's songs you're an expert at being in metallica so that doesn't yeah. mean they're going to learn the bass lines perfect by ear they just learn them their own way and just play them and they'll sound good now we're blessed with the youtube and the internet we can see um any performance any kind of angle any kind of isolated track to hear what's happening there how to play it but back then when jason was learning metallica songs for auditioning uh man it was just uh, the cassette uh, and uh, the radio and yeah no videos at all only the the shows and then yeah. it was all by ear all by ear and sometimes uh, of course uh, you don't hear the right notes and stuff but uh, uh, that was the romance of that time you had to learn uh, rewind it maybe slow it down and get every note as you hear it now you have the endless opportunities the endless um technical ability to do whatever you want with the songs to get really precise 99% even 100% it's still and still mistakes happen i've been trying to make the most correct metallica taps for orion for seven years and i have like five different versions of it every time i listen to orion i hear another note that i did not before it was like oh my god cliff how 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 you wrote it <laughs> it's still every time a new discovery or you have like a eureka moment if you learn something you're like i think i have it perfect and then you see someone else playing it and as soon as you hear it right it's you it's so obvious what you were doing was completely wrong you're like that note wasn't even close to what i should have been playing but uh, it's only when you hear someone doing it right to realize how wrong you had it now you have the bias maybe sh- maybe someone showed you the wrong way or you heard the wrong way and you learn it and it was like the muscle memory and you just you are deaf to the song now and sometimes which is really unfortunate the official tab books do a really bad service because yeah. they are terrible they usually are terrible how how they got it so wrong i i don't know Metallica i actually, I actually found out um i did a little deep dive because this is kind of a thing on youtube at the moment 
people get their official tab book and they play what's in it and it's all fucked up. So I, I think what what turned out, what happened was back when tab books started, the guys transcribing the music, sometimes they'd be a piano player or they'd be a guitar player who didn't do tab. But a lot of time it would actually be like just an, a phenomenal musician, probably a piano player. And he'd do all the notes and he'd write it in the music staff, but he didn't play guitar. So he, they'd put it in the guitar tab the right notes, but in a really weird way that no one would ever play it. I think that's what happened because they were like, we need you to make this guitar book. You've already made loads of other music books for, you know, films and plays and stuff. Can you just do this metallic album as well? So this genius musician did it. Grand, yeah, that's just music. Transcribed it all, put it in the music notes, which no one would read because it's guitar players. They don't read music. <laughs> so, But then they put in the tabs but they weren't guitar players and the notes are right, but there were all these crazy shapes. I think maybe that's not what happened, but that's what I think might have happened at the start of these official tab books. Yeah, that actually makes sense because you just said that piano players uh, could be making these uh, two uh, tab books. And that was, yeah, that's probably uh, the case because when you see the annotation, tablature, it's really, you see the nuances. The guy knew how to make notation how to make these nuances and theory all these um, embellishments and all kind of nuances in notation he knew the technical side of tablature but he was not he never saw guitar before how it <laughs> yeah. works like how do you play a second and eighth fret <laughs> at the same time yeah uh, why yeah that's crazy yeah piano player makes sense makes sense uh yeah actually that's probably the answer but the, the uh, another question is why the tab books why are the tab books are still on sale on metallica website you still can find those very first editions very uh, wrong editions still on sale 30 years they still can't find the guy who would do it right oh my god I guess I don't they know. just don't want to spend the money. I think they're just like, that was 30 years ago. Let's just move on. Maybe but, they don't know about it still. They have it, plenty of stuff to do. Exactly. But uh, the tab books... like paintings to be selling that are worth a fortune. They've got <laughs> lots of stuff to be doing. Uh, James is a, a beekeeper now. Like that's a, a busy hobby. Uh, so they've got <laughs> lots of interesting hobbies that don't involve, you know, fixing tab books that are 40 years old. But they got uh, like millions of volunteers on youtube on the internet who can do it just to uh, uh, divide this um, section songs albums and do it collectively like uh, and that's gonna be the most accurate thing ever because we would check each other and uh, and everything we should do it <laughs> they should just do it you might get permission you could ask metallica uh, i'm not sure what the the copyright thing is about releasing music that belongs to other people i'm pretty sure you can just pay like a royalty you, you have to ask permission for the band and if they give you permission you can sell the books yourself but obviously they get money for each one that sells because it's their music in the books you can probably do I that think, like. i think they will get to it soon uh, in a few years maybe because they are really they care about the fans they care about their legacy and i think they just uh, overlooked it and forgot about it and they will return to it soon and and by the way i saint tanger tab book 
is really good. Really, like really. the guy knew the, the guy was the guitarist. The guy knew how to do it in the low tunings and all the different parts. The State St. Anger book is awesome. And I believe Death Magnetic also is well, great. Well, this, these books are from the era of Tab, but the other books are from before Tab was really a thing. Like yeah. You're yeah. talking about the internet become, coming yeah. into existence, but these two albums came out when the internet was everywhere. So that's why they came out properly, like with a guitarist who could make Tab. Yeah. But still, this is the source of jokes, memes, the wrong tabs, the mistakes, and the art of guitar. Mike is doing such a great series with it. Yeah, that, I actually had I like a, a couple of years ago, I thought, um, but unfortunately, I'm not a guitarist. I cannot play these riffs. I really wanted to make something about the blackened main riff in the tab book, which is the most ridiculous tab I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh my God, I once I learned guitar, I played... I play this compilation, tap versus reality. But um, fortunately, there's a guy like Mike from the Arvi Guitar who did this series amazingly. Uh, yeah, that's really fun. That's really fun. He broke down his way. Uh, and hopefully, this helps uh, thousands of guys and girls out there to learn the riffs properly because this is, I don't know, this is brutal. When you learn, when you're 17 years old, you learn the riff incorrectly, and you keep playing it for 30 years after that, <laughs> yeah. you don't realize it's wrong. And it's like, it's uh, finding out that you are, I don't know, adopted. I don't know, something like that. Uh, <laughs> Speak, Andrew, speaking of playing riffs wrong, what the hell was going on in the Some Kind of Monster DVD when, when the bass players were coming in to audition for Metallica and they couldn't play, like, For Whom the Bell Tolls? Or they couldn't play like the simplest songs, like all these like killer bass players coming in. What were they using the tab books? Is that, is that what happened? What was going on? Like, uh, speaking of the some kind of monster case, um, I will return in a minute. Speaking of the belt, those intro, Les Claypool, when he was auditioning for Metallica, uh, he was playing, I, re I read it in his uh, autobiography. Les Claypool. Uh, he was, they started pulling the belts. Ta -da, ta -da, ta -da. And he was standing there, like, all right. Uh, and everyone was looking, man, why aren't you playing the intro? Wait, that's bass? <laughs> Les Claypool did not know that's bass back then. <laughs> and uh, um, back to 2003. I believe they just made it look like everyone was full. Um, they picked the the right angles, the right moments, and maybe, uh, yeah, in the um, in the book about some kind of monster, Setenger, the making of it, uh, the authors make it clear that the Beltos compilation of the intros of the, all the bases was came in post production. They just went through all the footage and thought how to make it neat. And then we'll see how to make these beltos one by one to see how Rob was so superior yeah, to yeah. everyone. Uh, just that part made it clear. And yeah, we would say that that's the right angles to, saw, to show the basis in not so good light. But fuck, 
How do you mess up that intro? I know, yeah. It's like it's you're, so you're, four, you're, you're 14 years old and someone goes, da 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 and they show you the little run. You're like, I, I got it. That's it. Like t- 10 different ways. They played it. Like every guy played it differently and then does not sound good. Uh, Rob did it also differently. He did it a bit differently than Cliff and Jason, but that sounded just like it supposed like- to be. I think the story could be that also that a lot of the guys they got were from famous bands. And when you're in a famous band, you're good at being you. You're you're like, if you're Tim Comerford, you're the best Tim Comerford in the world at being in Rage Against the Machine. If you're Dave Eccleston, you're the best Dave Eccleston at being in Megadeth. Doesn't necessarily mean you're the best guy at playing covers or at playing other people's bass lines. You're just the best at being you. But of all the people at the audition, Rob Trujillo had already done the cover band thing. He had been in Ozzy's band. He had been in ten- Suicidal Tendencies. So he had done the playing other people's bass lines. So maybe he had a bit of an advantage there too, that he was used to learning other people's bass lines and being a bit more of a chameleon than those other guys who were just really good at being themselves at- on the bass. And plus, uh, if you look at the names of who auditioned, there was literally like a few... Metal guys who knew what, how to play metal. And uh, Robert was the guy. And uh, that's it. Uh, from those who were shown in the movie. I don't know. So basically, they invited uh, mostly non-metal guys. Mm. And it was like a surprise. There was an invitation. Like, there was no um, open door. Come and play. And maybe you'll get a board. But uh, it was invitation. Private invitation. Everyone got a call from Metallica, from Lars, to just come and maybe we'll pick you. They didn't have much time to get prepared. And um, Scott Reeder, the guy who uh, looked most like Cliff on the audition, uh, he told that they really gave him a call when he was on his ranch. He was yeah, of course that's Metallica. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Turned out that's Metallica and they had like this idea, inviting him. And he had like a week or so to get prepared. So he could not learn all the songs. So he had this list of songs that he knew and he rehearsed them. And yeah, that was the thing. Nobody really was prepared for it. And Beltos was the song that I had to play. And maybe after years of not hearing it, being a grown man's, uh, man, uh, they did not really took it another chance to learn properly. They had to like, like, yeah, I vaguely remember Beltos. This is something like this. Maybe that's the, the, the case. They tried to remember it ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would you think Metallica ever would have um, considered the idea of, you know what, why don't we get the bass player from the best Metallica tribute band in the world? <laughs> Would he not have been, you know, like, have you ever, have you ever seen that film Rockstar with um, Mark Wahlberg? Of and, course, um, of course. He sings in the crowd and he, he nails all the notes and then the lead singer from the band is a pain in the hole. So the management get rid of him and get the greatest tribute yeah, yeah, to yeah. him. Do you think they ever would have thought of doing that, getting in a bass player who obviously could play every Metallica bass line perfectly? Or do you think they wanted someone who was already established in the rock world. Yeah, that was the point, actually. And they uh, made it clear that they did not want to get another fanboy 
in Metallica. Jason was a fanboy, basically. He really loved Metallica. He was excited. And it was apparent. And they joked about it and, and stuff, you know. He was the fan who got into Metallica. Basically, like, like in Rockstar. Okay, so they did version. that already and they didn't want to do it again, is what you're saying? No. They needed... Um, they did not want to step in this again. Maybe this is a slippery slope. Again, maybe that's... They didn't want to repeat Jason's story. That was a drama, basically. Jason is tough guy. 15 years in Metallica. And when when he was... When he became a member of Metallica, he was 23. And he when he left, it was almost 40. But the attitude how you are treated when you are in 20s, it really like a habit. Even when they're a grown man, like 40, they still like, you know, tend to treat the same because that's the habit. Yeah. And the status quo in the band, Jason, yeah. the whipping boy. Yeah. And um, now they had to do it from scratch. Um, like a guy who would know, who would uh, know his job, who would be established, who would know how to play on stage, who would be a seasoned guy and a good guy with a good compatibility with the, all the character in the band, who would be the fourth member, but not completely like Jason or Cliff, of course, but another character who would get along also. So that was the point. And Rob was the best choice. The only downside, the only weak side of Rob, everyone points out that, is his vocal skills. Yeah. J- He's no Jason. Oh, Jason, um, near the end of like, well, I think uh, the Justice Tour, I had that DVD, it was on live shit, binge and purge. And Jason's vocals are just better than James for certain songs. And it's true for some of the, the Kill Em All songs and some of those more like aggressive vocals. He he was bringing the live show to another level. He, it was pretty awesome. Like you cannot um, wish for a one hundred percent perfect guy, and uh, Rob was the closest to being perfect. And you're gonna grab him. You're gonna get him aboard before it's too late to make the wrong decision um, to pick someone else. And he's actually uh, over the years he. He trained to be more or less good backup vocalist. And lately he was singing Spit Out the Bone, a Metallica song, the verses, in a really brutal manner. Mm. He, was not, he was not trying to sing the notes, just let it out like Tom Araya, I don't know. And he's really got the, the voice in that way. So, yeah, but uh, that's an obvious choice, Robert. 99% that Metallica needed. Yeah, I kind of checked out of listening to Metallica around the time of Saint Anger, and then and then I checked back in the last years. Like I remembered how much I love them, like my te- the teenage band, you know. So when I kind of was this when Rob joined first, I wasn't too sure about him as a metal bass player. But in the last year or two, when I started listening again to Metallica, he re- he is really solid metal bass player. Like he's after nailing all the solos. He can do pulling teeth. He can do Orion. But I don't think he was as solid a metal bass player when he joined back in the St. Anger era. He's really after growing into it, like being a class Metallica bass player. Yeah, he was. Um, he had a pretty solid uh, list of bands he was in. Uh, Suicide Tendencies, uh, 
infectious grooves, Ozzy Osbourne, he really had the training, but being in a thrash metal band like Metallica and do all the tough stuff, yeah, he really had to level up. And that's what he's done. Uh, almost 20 years now, you see that uh, he has become a part of Metallica, a inseparable part of Metallica. And um, unfortunately, they haven't made many records with him, only two, mm. basically. That's the kind of uh, productivity I don't appreciate. <laughs> we need more Metallica songs to really give Robert more... Uh, even um, even the Garage Inc. records that they did with Jason, I love them. I, I used to listen to them all the time as a teenager. There was loads of cool stuff on them. Like They could even do that in this era, about a Garage Inc. with Robert, Like, but they haven't really done much in the last 20 years, really, in terms of releasing music. They, they plan to do it after the latest album. There were talks about, well, we are, um, uh, we, we are up to making Garage Inc. 2, actually. There's tons really? of covers, yeah, back in 2016-17. But uh, they got busy with other projects. Maybe, um, maybe it's also going to happen soon. Because this is an easy way to make a record. Just like Grudge Inc. was yeah. done in literally two weeks. They got off the tour. <laughs> uh, three days after the tour, they gathered in Lars's, I think, garage. They, within the next couple of days, they had the list of songs. Some, some guys did not know the songs before. And uh, they, within the week, they learned them. Two weeks, they recorded them. And in months or two, in two months, they got the record out. Cool. Uh, There's the Irish connection, of course. They did whiskey in the jar, Tin Lizzy. That was pretty yeah. cool. Like, yeah, and yeah, that's the same situation now. Like spending months on making a Grudge Inc. and that's uh, people would love it, and all kinds of upsides of making this kind of stuff between the albums. But now they are. Um, I think they wish they want not to spend time on all this music. They have to make their record out, the original songs and uh, the covid thing got it a bit messed so they really want to make their 11th album sooner and then maybe it's gonna be like a double disc one uh, disc is original stuff one is covers they did something similar on the latest album hardward uh, so yeah they like to experiment with the uh, all kinds of uh, editions and releases so maybe that's the case Album plus Garage Inc. 2. That'd be cool. In one package. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I, lo I loved uh, when they did the Even on St. Anger, which wouldn't be one of my favorite Metallic albums. I loved the DVD that came with it, which pro actually sounded better than the album because they, they, they released a DVD in the practice room with Robert playing all the songs. And that was, yeah. a, that was a cool addition, like to throw in for the fans, you know, a free DVD with the album. Yeah. And one of the biggest uh, powers of Metallica something that makes them so famous and still people talk about them, they show this bonus stuff, bonus footage, bonus riff tapes, demos, um, interviews. They talk about their songwriting a lot. I tried to, um, I tried, I collect songwriting um, tricks of different bands, like how they write songs, write riffs. And, you know, putting Iron Maiden is the closest to Metallica, to the top right next to Metallica in terms of the popularity, maybe. But when you see um, 
the body of work outside the songs, interviews, demos, and all kinds of memes and stuff, Metallica is so far ahead of Iron Maiden if everyone else. I tried to find info how Iron Maiden wrote songs certain, like, no. And the closest I got was the classic albums, um, TV show, movie, documentary, yeah. where they did um, the isolated tracks, the like the harmonics in the beginning of the Halloween by the name. That was the kind of stuff I seek. And when they talk about how they wrote it, they don't really talk about it much. Mm. They just go from one record to another record, and that's it. In between this, you void. Same with Megadeth and everyone else. Metallica always throw something out so that people would enjoy it. And these reissues really do a great service to reviving Metallica, basically yeah. now. This unreleased stuff, riff tapes especially, the very first recordings of the riffs when James or Kirk just, in the moment, I, I came up with a riff, click on the recorder. Yeah, that's, that's cool. it. And they gave it the to the very, fans. Very, yeah, and that's the gold we, we the fans want more of, and Metallica provides it big time. I, I think the inception of that might have been like when they made some kind of monster, and you know it is uncomfortable to watch for me, and I don't even know those guys, so I imagine how uncomfortable it was for the the four guys in the band to watch. So there must have been a conversation had in the room where Lars and James and Kirk might have said will we not release this this is this is uncomfortable to watch but they were smart enough to release it and that kind of started a resurgence for metallica because people love that documentary i love it i think it's my number one music documentary ever because it's so real and they reason they them bringing that out kind of gave them a boost in popularity because people were like wow this is amazing i think i'm going to start listening to metallica again now that i saw them be so raw in this documentary and after that success maybe they decided people like seeing inside the, the shed or the garage and they kept doing that after. Do you, do you think that might've been what happened? Maybe, maybe. And um, um, during the making of St. Anger, they did this um, series. They, every week or other week, they posted on their website, a short video, a jump in the studio, like uh, a final wall footage, what they're up to, what they were doing. And, Fans like waited for these videos like Christmas every other week, I think, for an entire year. And there was no point for them business wise to make it. Like people would yeah. buy their record anyway, but they spent time, not much time, but the focus making these short, uh, funny, and not so funny videos uh, for the fans. And yeah, there was maybe the point they realized. And the Napster thing also. They realized you cannot fight technology, but make it your friend mm. and utilize it. And so ever since we see uh, how they treat the fans, the online community, they post a lot of stuff for free. Last year, when the COVID thing happened, every Monday they posted for free an entire DVD or concert in HD quality so that people would spend their Monday in a better mood. Metallica, Metallica Mondays, yeah, that was a cool time. They're really, they're not greedy. They make money by, people talk about them. 
Yeah. The buzz makes money. And they um, are not greedy. They give back a lot. More than more the other bands combined. Yeah, that's cool. It's a good strategy, you know. And maybe it's not even a strategy. Maybe it's um, altruistic. They're like, you know what? We're after doing really well. Let's give the fans something. Give back to the fans. like. But I saw you were talking about, because on the first three Metallic albums, the first four, sorry, there's an instrumental song. And um, my favorite Metallica bass line is actually My Friend of Misery. So you, you, I saw you were talking about maybe making your own version of My Friend of Misery the way it should have been as a full instrumental. Is that a project that we might get to hear in the next few months? It's actually done, but we, um, a couple of guys have done it for the Black Album anniversary. You can check it out on YouTube. But I, but I did not listen to their versions to keep my... Uh, I heard one today, but it was it was just a song with the vocals removed, so they, they didn't yeah. really reinterpret it. It was just the same song, but with the vocals I, taken out. I think uh, uh, the guy, State of Mercury, who does Metallica reworks, in like, uh, what if Enter Sediments was on Justice? Somewhere. Oh, I've he seen made that. The, that's class. I love that channel. Yeah, that's really uh, interesting. He's, he's my friend. And he did his own variation of If My Friend of Misery was instrumental today or a couple of days before. Um, but I haven't checked it out because I'm working on my own variation. You want to pollute your, uh, your ears with yeah, your version. Yeah, correct. And um, I'm making it with another friend of mine, Ben Zimmerman, who does symphonic versions. We've been doing it for the last couple of months since our Suicide Redemption cover. And uh, we wanted to release it on the anniversary, August 12th. And we almost, it's almost finished, 95%. But then we realized on September 10th, we will have a ton of material of Metallica um, riff tapes. Jason Newsted's and James's riff tapes of My Friend of Misery. And all other cool stuff that would make our version better. The new licks, the new notes they maybe did not use in the, in the final song. We... Um, might bring it back mm. and uh, to make this ultimate thing to do justice to my friend of misery like 200% so yeah we'll wait till September 10 and by that time uh, we'll do some other stuff and then we'll within a week we'll release it so yeah it's cool You'll i see. look forward to that because it, it does suit the black album as an instrumental it, something about the vocals in that song they just don't sit right really it, it just yeah. works as an instrumental i think yeah but i used to blame bob rock um for adding vocals because he was like not into instrumentals and stuff nobody uh, he used to work with made instrumentals motley crew they did not do such big epics and so he was not really into it maybe but now I think as I'm working on my rework of my friend of misery, trying to make it an instrumental, I understand it why they may have um, dropped it, the idea. It's really hard to, to make it like Orion because there's too much repetition there and you cannot really throw some cool stuff there, solos, bass stuff, uh, without making it over the top. And so that's really a challenge to make My Friend of Misery not boring without vocals and not over the top. So that, yeah, mm. maybe they did not have much time to work on it, to continue working on it as instrumental back uh, into 1990, 1991. So they had to 
find a compromise. Like, man, it would take ages for this track to be an instrumental, a worthy instrumental. So yeah, let's make it just another song. All right, all right. Jason hoped it'd be an instrumental, but he said, that's how it worked out. So I think, yeah, that's just the, they could not find time to make it, as I say, jacked, to make it really um, not bleak compared to Ryan's and others. And yeah, at least we have the badass vocals by James and the lyrics like are, are, are cool, but the chorus, yeah, I don't really like it. It's like... Uh, it doesn't fit the song. And I'd say yeah. it's, it, if it sounds like it's impossible to sing and play on guitar at the same time, then they don't fit together because <laughs> most songs you sometimes they're complicated to play and you can but you can still sing them but if they're completely apart maybe they weren't supposed to go together if they had an extra month and the dedication to make it an instrumental they would have done it i'm sure uh, but they did not have it they were already so stressed bob rock was always uh, pressuring them like do 50 takes of the song to make it right. And so, yeah, there was, they were exhausted, I'm sure, physically and creatively. They had to make it done and just go on tour to have fun from the studio, from the fucking studio, I think they would <laughs> call it. Uh, so, yeah, that was the sacrifice, I think. But again, loading really what happened then and... They did not return to instrumentals for two reasons. Firstly, they already broke the chain. The chain was broken. And when you break the uh, chain, like you did not drink for 30 days and one day you drink, next day you tend to drink again because it's it, 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 like you lost. You lost it. You, fell off you the lost the challenge. Thing. Yeah. And um, same with Loader. They did not want to make instrumental because the chain was broken. And again, on Lord and Rulo, there was not really, that's not the style. It wouldn't have worked. Like you, you can't yeah. do like a seven minute blues rock riff instrumental. It just without vocals. Yeah. Uh, maybe, and maybe I'll make it one day. Maybe I'll gather maybe the worst songs from Lord and Reload. People like the least and make an instrumental out of them. Maybe something like that yeah. to, to um, utilize it that way. <laughs> it's it already kind of back songs. I know. Yeah, it, I was today. I was like, I, I actually really was a massive fan of Load and Reload at, growing up. But listening back in the last few months, it definitely should have been one album. I think like Load is so much better in terms of the track listing than Reload, in my opinion. But what I do agree. You, what do you think? I heard, I heard Lo- Reload first. Because I had this, um, I bought the CD collection and it was like Reload, S&M, St. Anger, like something like that. So the CD like was, it was two-part CD and Load and Reload went to different CDs. And Reload for me was first and Load was second. And I liked Load much more. I don't know, maybe Load was closer to the classic Metallica Mm. Plus, it has more bass leaks. I think there's reload more bass ha- and load. Yeah, there is. I think Reload has stronger singles, like Fuel and Memory Remains. It's almost like they said, let's put the two strongest singles on Reload because it'll make it sell better because it ne- we need those singles to prop this disc up. Maybe, maybe, but uh, they say that was just 
a random uh, collection of like they uh, decided to work on songs they already had progress with and then uh, keep the rest for the second part yeah in general uh, reload is faster fuel is 205 bpm maybe prince charming attitude are fast songs while while load is the fastest is probably ain't my bitch and wasting my hate 160 imagine mm. on kill em all the slowest song was 160 <laughs> on load the fastest so yeah but at the same time it has more more clean guitar ballads more ballads and more bass licks very low bass so the bass is super loud on load and you have like a lot of bass what you would call a bass centric song like king nutting or it's until it's it sleeps built and built around the bass uh, the also torn i really love the bass riff yeah, uh, yeah. which one and is it that james hetfield wrote the bass line for bleeding me is it or do actually doom, or i can't remember the song now uh there was dance That's reload it, yeah. Actually, I believe uh, James wrote most of the prominent bass licks because he demoed the songs and he came, he played bass for the demos. Lars and James demoed the songs while Jason and Kirk minded their own business. And James had to play bass. And he did some bass stuff too. And even though we credit, we give Jason credit for Until the Sleeps intro, for King Nothing intro, for again, Dale's uh, dance, but that's probably James's work. He composed those intros, but again, um, Jason did great job making the entire arrangements. So yeah, I prefer Load. <laughs> yeah, it is great. And about your own bands, Andrew, what's happening? Uh, you you have a band now. You're starting to write some original material, are you? You're hoping to release it and maybe do some gigs. Like now that you're getting more into playing bass and not just being the metallic geek or metallic scientist i'm not sure what your official title is um yeah metallica stuff remains on the on another channel i'm free to do whatever i want about metallica and the channel i'm having now the big the bigger, the bigger one andrea Solenko. it's i cannot change the name but i have to uh, take in, into consideration what people would associate my name with and so I figured that's the music. I'm a musician. And so more music will come, this channel. I used to write male stuff before making talking videos. And then because of uh, I didn't have time, didn't have space to do it, I started my own family. My daughter was born and so on. So I postponed this for an uh, indefinite time. And I, in the meantime, I tried more acoustic guitar stuff, like I called it vegetarian diet. <laughs> not make full songs with drums and just one man plays guitar kind of vegetarian yeah uh, and now i'm feeling like i have the room and the energy to return to the heavy stuff to play more bass i i looked looked up my old demos old riffs i kept making riffs all the years every almost every day i have some some recordings on my phone riff tapes hundred thousands i don't know and i want to make it happen and well, i have a couple guys to help me with that and so they too brought their own music to it to build something collectively a band because again i don't know i don't want to make it like andriva Selenko band 
it's a stupid name. My name it is always Miss. It wouldn't look good on a T-shirt. Like you're, you'd be like yeah, huge. Yeah. I could make it an AV something, but that would be too. I'm not that that ego and stuff. But uh, uh, so we have a name, and we have a a band basically, and we are working on it. We are working on it, and we are playing in standard tuning. We are playing uh, heavy riffs. Because standard tuning needs to return. Mm. People forget how heavy standard can be. And Metallica is the proof. They sound so freaking heavy in E standard. They don't have to go so low like on Satanger. And that's the attitude. Among other things we consider to, to do in the band. But that's heavy. And that's metal. And there's a lot of bass there. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice have you got like a kind of metallica style pedal board and setup do you have like the wah pedal and the fuzz and that kind of cliff burton setup is that is that your base uh style or do you not use effects like in this band uh i used to when i played with bands back in the day like 10 years ago i played with a pedal i think i used boss odb 3 just to overdrive and before that uh, tube screamer i think and for the bass distortion to play bass solos and whatever amp I had at the rehearsal bass. But I never owned an amp in my life, actually. If I had to play something, I either played unplugged or connected to my computer via sound card and hang whatever plugins I had. That's the, the magic, VST plugins and yeah. stuff. And... Um, now I'm actually considering buying a good Marshall, and uh, I had a good pedal. A a friend of mine, a fan, um, gave me that present, a really good distortion pedal. So yeah, but uh, for this band, I I want to keep it dry, you know, clean, heavy, clunky, a bit noisy, but clean uh, bass, the the bare, the naked sound. Mm. Of course, compressed, amplified, but really uh, without gimmicks. And so you, if you're not, you don't want to be like a Metallica clone in your band. You're just being you. So you're you're not. I have a lot of influences. You have I'm influenced by by Pantera, by Megadeth, by um, a lot of bands. It's really um, uh, mix, really dangerous mix. But yeah, Metallica is the. the, the the basis of my bassing and composing. I'm more of a composer than bassist, but so yeah, I write riffs on guitar too. But the bass has this some the badassness, the uh, the something the guitar cannot do, something that uh, no other instrument can do, and uh, and you can play with fingers and it sounds great. Yeah, I I recorded the bass short. I record bass today and my finger pads are ah I love it. <laughs> That's I it. Love it. I love it. I like this passion for the bass. That's what we need on this podcast. People talking about bass in this way. Bass is an amazing instrument. So you you cannot play slap on guitar like on bass. You no. cannot do those meaty harmonics uh, on a guitar like you do on bass. You can you cannot do the fat chords just boom. Guitar chords cannot stand um, 
compared to base chords and and so on. This is such a palette of tone, of dynamics, of ways of playing, of ways of composing on bass. Yeah, we're and still exploring. We're it's still like being discovered like new ways of playing the bass like it's it's every week you see a new bass player online who's playing the bass in a different way or doing a different thing with it it's it's amazing like it's the sky's the limit in what you can do with a bass guitar yeah you basically cannot do everything doing the guitar on bass but you cannot do on guitar all you can do on bass Uh, so yeah that's the very Almost the ultimate instrument, and you have just four strings. Yeah. Most cases, four strings I, is enough a, to do really badass music. I'm not a fan of the five string myself. I, I it just feels weird to me. I just I'll stick to four string. I think all the time. Uh, okay, so I'm just gonna go do some uh, questions from our my um what, listeners. So Pascal asks, what do you think is the best Metallica tone on any of the albums? For me, it's uh, Ride the Lightning, Cliff Burton's Tube Screamer, Overdrive, that's badass. That was the my my biggest inspiration back in the day. But I also love uh, Jason Newstead's Justice Tone, uh, really clear, like glass, and really powerful. And Rob's Tone on some of the songs from That's Magnetic. Yeah, but I prefer Ride the Lightning because that's classic. That's my what I began with. Cool. And uh, who else we got? Oh. A lot of people ask this exact same question. Why didn't Metallica fix the bass on Justice For All for the 30th anniversary of that album? Why didn't they just, when it was the anniversary of Justice, come out with the, the fixed version of it? They answered it in some way because they wanted to make it, like, that was the history. They didn't want to, that was the part of the sound on Justice and remixing it with bass would, in some way, ruin it. And they would love to just move on. So that's just what they remastered it, not remixed it. But uh, yeah, that's part of justice, actually. Matt K. Bass says, what was the first Metallica song you learned on the bass? Beltos. Pumda Beltos. Yeah. I I remember my fingers hurt from that low, because the low frets on the bass are really tense. And mm. you really have to make it tough with time. So that really had me, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> belted. <laughs> okay, cool. And um, and so I watch you from afar, interesting username, says, is Rob subdued as a player in Metallica? No, I don't think so, but they have their own... Uh, hierarchy within the band they are basically they're a family but they know uh, each other's strong sides and they try to utilize that best and yeah Rob has a lot of songwriting credits on Death Magnetic and uh, a lot of bass stuff going on there too Hardwired is a bit different story but yeah he was not surprised but we don't really know what's happening in Metallica's kitchen actually what their rules, their rules, their limits, boundaries uh, between them. So yeah, maybe, but he's comfortable there and we are all right too, I think. So yeah. Okay, this, right. this question might be one that we can't answer today because it would take too long. So this Watchy also asks, what would Cliff be doing if he was still alive and would Metall- what would Metallica sound like? 
that that's like that could take another two hours to discuss almost couldn't it he would be more mature and he would definitely um, want to broaden his horizons of music and try maybe different stuff for metallica because he brought melody and classical notes to metallica i would not be surprised if he brought even blues to metallica and make load before uh, 1996 that's what james also said definitely it would be more maybe progressive stuff i don't know because he would not be up to playing boring music that's definitely Okay. Uh, and watch, we kind of covered this already. He said, why does it seem that Jason has more of a stamp on Metallica history? And we kind of covered that. It's that Rob has only been on two studio albums. So that's why it seems that Jason has more of a stamp on the history of Metallica, even though he, hasn't, he wasn't in the band as long as Rob is, I suppose. That's it, isn't it? Well, Jason basically has three and a half albums. That's not so far from Rob. And uh, Cleve has three albums too but that's more compressed time. Uh, maybe that was the prime of Metallica in the 90s, and that was the boom of music. They were at their peak. They were going, just doing their thing. Uh, yeah, he was in Metallica's prime, and that's why he seems very important. He was very important. But in people's minds, also nostalgia plays some role. Uh, he was in the right time, the right place for Metallica, and he was Metallica for a decade and a half. So yeah, he was part of Metallica. And if a machine lacks one wheel, it's not working. True. Um, Okay, so Andy McDonald asks, um, what inspired Cliff's melodic lead bass style, do you think? Uh, What inspired him? Yeah, what inspired Cliff to develop that? Him or me? Not you, Cliff Burton himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I th- yeah. He was really into classical bands, not really metal bands, Thin Lizzy, and they, he listened to a lot of melodic music, rock and roll, rock, and classical music, um, maybe firstly. And that's what the source of his melodism, I think. Mm, yeah, that's good. And so he says, last but not least, do you think what what do you think the band or do you think the band would have worked with Les Claypool as the bass player? No, it's not working. Uh, I made a video like a year ago. If they were crazy enough to get him aboard, it would not last longer than one album. They needed someone to last with them, to be compatible. Uh, for a longer time. Les was like Mustaine, but uh, a kinder guy. You know? He was already self-sufficient as a composer. He, uh, if he joined Metallica, it would be for money because he was working uh, or as a, not the tailor, carpenter. He was a carpenter. He, mm. he, he would do it for money, but then he would have his tensions creative with Metallica. No, I, I'm glad we have Primus. Cool, man. So that's it. That, that's class. Like that was a pretty good um, retrospective of bass with Metallica. And I really appreciate you coming on. Um, everyone should check out your channel, both your channels, Metallic Geek and the channel with your own name. Like, is w- Where's the main place you hang out? I suppose it's on YouTube, is it? Uh, 
just go to YouTube. Um, I don't know if they can, can spell it correctly. Andriy Vasilenko. Uh, but maybe I don't know, Andriy Vasilenko. You'll find it in the podcast. Link, notes. I'll be putting. I'll be putting all your links pro- here anyway. They'll down, be down below. Yeah. All your links. Yeah. The main so. channel, Andriy Vasilenko. Maybe Insta- Instagram, Andriy Vasilenko fourteen. Yeah, uh, that's where I'm residing now. And yeah. the the big question: How close are you to interviewing Metallica? You must be getting closer every year. Yeah. I'm getting closer, but this is like jungles I'm going through. This is really tough, but that's the point. They are hard to get. And do, I have do you to think you might it. get one member? You might get one member who likes interviews a bit more, perhaps. Like, I, I don't know, but I, I have to interview everyone. <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows his own secrets. Yeah. So you, you, I hope. Is that me, still your, is that still your goal? Fun. Is that a goal still to someday get to interview Metallica on the channel? It's the point. If I, uh, if I drop the goal in 10 years, I would regret it. It's, uh, if I don't get him aboard, so what? I try. That's the fun. That's the mission. People really are really excited about it. Just to, that's the journey is the thing. Yeah, may, yeah. Maybe you could do it like it could be something for charity. Like, you know, you could have a big get together of I give the money to the all within my hands you know the Metallica foundation and who knows like something like that like would be fun like I don't know I'm al- I'm already I'm already donating to their charity via merch we have uh, merch uh, that goes to their charity and it's kind of anonymous maybe they don't know that I'm um, donating but I'm not go- I'm going to do it um I don't, I don't like the idea of paying for interviews uh, via chart. No, that's, I don't know. I want to really go through the, all the hardships to make my name. So their management says, we can trust this guy to interview Metallica. Yeah, maybe they are afraid because I do some stupid jokes on the channel, but that's for the kids. Uh, maybe they're afraid of my swearing sometimes. I don't know, but I man, don't think so. Metallica. I, I think they you're are the fucking band. I think you're very respectful of their legacy. I don't think you ever do anything that makes yeah, fun of Metallica. So yeah. Well, yeah, I I make fun when it's uh, when it's cool. I I I'm Metallic geek. How can I hate Metallica if in my name of the channel is Metallic? Even if I if, when I'm criticizing Metallica, that's just because it, that's a cool story to talk about. Something yeah. they should have done or did some you know that's the meme that's the internet now that's yeah, part well, of the buzz about metallica and i believe some of their staff knows me because i have some um hints that they know about me indirect hints but uh, some of them are aware of me that's for sure and the time will show we'll get there i think so i i think you're going to get to the goal so Best of luck with that. And thanks again for coming on. And I look forward to seeing more bass videos because I love your bass playing. I was actually relearning pulling teeth myself recently and I was using, I was watching you playing it because you, you did a rever- a new version of it where you you kind of got more accurate than your old version. And I'm trying to get, be able to play pulling teeth myself a bit more yeah, accurately. But... So. Yeah, more or less, it's impossible to play it accurately because Cliff improvised half of it. 
and the distortion hides a lot of notes he played. So yeah, that's the point. Half is pretty much, uh, you can get it. And the drum part, just go and play, just hang out. Yeah. Just let it out. That's the point. That's the point of anesthesia. The second part is always improvised. Yeah, that's the way you should do it. Don't worry about it. Just rock out like and play it. And thank you so much. I believe this is my first podcast when I'm a guest. I, I believe I I don't don't know, but uh, that's I had fun and thank you for having me aboard. I hope I brought some value, some fun to your listeners. 